0: Good morning. And let me uh, extend my greeting to those that are in the contemporary service, the modern service. This is the contemporary service. And uh, also let me say uh, thank you for the joy of being here. I'm in town in part to speak to the Three Rivers Association and tomorrow to do a workshop on preaching. And so your pastor graciously said, well, then why don't you come and uh, speak to our church on Sunday morning? And I've already been tremendously blessed. I knew that there was a very close connection Uh, between First Baptist Church and Southeastern uh, with Paul being a graduate. But my goodness, in both services, I've already run into so many people that either went to Southeastern, have kids at Southeastern, have grandkids at Southeastern, used to have kids or grandkids at Southeastern. And so it's just been wonderful. It's like a homecoming. And uh, thank you so much for loving us and believing in us and, and trusting us. Uh, to send your children and grandchildren to come and study uh, at that school. Uh, it, 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 it honors us, so thank you very much. Pastor Paul mentioned we're going to be in the shortest book in the Bible, the book of 3 John. So if you would, take your New Testament and turn to the back. If you turn and find the book of Revelation, just start working your way back to the left, and you'll find the little tiny book of Jude, and then you'll find the short book of Third John. Uh, This is a book that is not often taught from or preached from, but I think it's one of the most powerful books in the New Testament concerning the mission of God and being on mission with God. And so let me read for you these 15 verses from the epistle of 3 John. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, and he puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. Today, we would say, I'm not going to send an email. I'm not going to send a text message. I'm not going to box you. That's not good enough. No, 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 no. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk, and every English translation says face-to-face, literally in the Greek text, it is we will talk mouth-to-mouth. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. All of us in this auditorium this morning came in with a very valuable possession. It's a very interesting possession because what you think of it may not at all be what other people think of it. They may have a completely different opinion of this very valuable possession. You say, Danny, what in the world are you talking about your reputation? Uh, The estimation that people have concerning your character and your standing as a person. Of course quite simply our reputation can be good or bad uh, it can be positive or negative but mark this down people watch you people form an opinion about you and people talk about you usually of course behind your back but people do talk about you it would be very interesting would it not to ascertain exactly what people say when they consider the person that you happen to be Charles Spurgeon, the wonderful Baptist preacher in London uh, in a prior century, understood how important our reputation is to the advancement of the gospel and the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And he also recognized how the world puts us under a microscope and watches us with such clarity and with such intensity. And thus he said this, and I quote, "...the eagle-eyed world acts as a policeman for the church." It becomes a watchdog over the sheep, barking furiously as soon as one goes astray. Be careful. Be careful of your private lives, and I believe your public lives will be sure to be right. But remember, it is upon your public life that the verdict of the world will very much depend And so, I want to ask three questions to lay the foundation for our study of these verses this morning. Three very crucial and important questions that I hope that you'll meditate upon as we walk through these 15 verses. They're simple questions. Number one, what do you think of yourself in those moments of honest evaluation? What do you really think about yourself? Second question what do you suspect other people think about you? Again, if you were to be honest, if I were to talk to your mate, your children, your grandchildren, somebody that you work with, your next door neighbor, someone you go to school with, if I were to ask them, be gut level honest, what do you think of, and I put your name in that blank, what would they say? What would be the general opinion of you? Would it be like, you know, he's one of the most gracious and humble people I know? Uh, No. Uh, That guy's full of himself. In fact, he's one of the most arrogant, condescending persons I've ever been around. I don't like to be near him. I've heard those comments made. What would people say about you? But the third and most important question of all is this. What does God think about you? The one who knows you better than you know yourself. Every thought, every emotion, every act, he knows everything about you. What does God think about you? Now, what I want us to do is allow these three men to serve, if you like, as a mirror for us to let the Word of God uh, expose who we are in light of what we see in this man named Gaius, a man that I describe as having the right passions Uh, This man, Diotrephes, a man that I describe as having a harmful agenda. And then this man by the name of Demetrius, that's easy to identify because he was a man with a good testimony. So let's start off this morning in verses 1 through 8, looking at this man by the name of Gaius. And the Bible says, indeed, he was a man with the right passions. And I believe he had the right passions for four particular reasons. Number one, he was a man who lives spiritually. Look at verse 1. The elder, uh, John does not have to refer to himself as an apostle because he's writing as an older man. He's writing to a dear friend. He doesn't need to pull rank. He can simply say, uh, the old man, your granddaddy, is writing to you. And though the book is anonymous, the early church was virtually unanimous that the apostle John penned 3 John, along with 2 John, 1 John, the book of Revelation, and the gospel of John. The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. The idea is you're someone that I truly and genuinely and fervently love. And then in verse 2, we have a single verse prayer in the Bible. And again, he uses the word beloved. You may have a translation like the NIV or the Christian Standard Bible that will use the word or the phrase dear friend. So, beloved, dear friend, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Somehow, and I think we'll see in a moment how, John had come to understand that Gaius Gaius was not doing well physically. And so he wanted him to know that he was praying for this young son in the ministry, this child in the ministry, this child in the faith, because John most likely led Gaius to faith in Christ. And so he says, look, I've heard an incredible report about you, what a godly man you are, that you indeed are living in a spiritual kind of a way. Your passions and God's passions, they match up. And so I want you to know that I'm praying and asking the Lord, now listen to this prayer, I'm asking the Lord to bless you Physically, to exactly the same degree that you're healthy spiritually. Question, what if I were to pray that prayer for you this morning? Or you were to pray that prayer for me this morning? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I brought the idea up, so I'll pick on me. You pray, you pray this morning. Dear Lord, I ask that you would bless Danny physically to the same exact degree that he is healthy Spiritually, would I be fit? Would I be in bed? Would I be nearly, would I pass out right here? You'd have to call 911 and get an ambulance here because actually, spiritually, I ain't doing so good. What if I prayed that prayer for you and God answered it? Would that be a good thing? It would have been a great thing for Gaius. Because Gaius was a man whose soul was fit as a fiddle. He was a man that was living spiritually. His priorities and God's priorities, they matched up in a beautiful, beautiful duet. But next, note that in verses 3 and 4, he was a man that walked truthfully. The Bible says, John writes, I rejoice greatly. When the brothers, we're going to see in a moment, these traveling missionaries came and testified to your truth, the word that occurs five times in 3 John, as indeed you are, now look at this interesting phrase, you are walking in the truth. In verse 4 simply reinforces verse 3, I have no greater joy. Nothing makes me happier than to hear that my children, almost certainly Gaius had been led to faith by John, to hear that my children are walking in, in the truth. Now, you say, that's an interesting phrase, Danny. I agree. I thought truth is something that you believe. John would say, it's that and more. You see, John would say, truth is not only what you believe. Truth is also what you live. Vance Havner was a wonderful, wonderful uh, North Carolina evangelist in a Great reputation throughout the South, marvelous preacher, unbelievable wisdom, very witty. And Dr. Haver used to say this, what you live is what you really believe. Everything else is just religious talk. I think he's right. What you live is what you really believe. Everything else is just so much religious talk. Well, Gaius was a man who was living spiritually. And he was a man who was walking truthfully. But then number three, he was also a man who was serving faithfully. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Beloved, dear friend, it is a faithful thing. The idea is it's a good thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are, these traveling missionaries, I know you didn't know them until they showed up at your door, but you did a good thing with them. In fact, verse 6, they testified, they gave a witness to your love before the church. And so I just have this word of encouragement, you will do well. Please send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now, here's the context. In the first century, if you went out as a traveling missionary... Uh, There were not hotels or motels to stay in in those days. So you would go out and look either for a family member or a friend to see if they would allow you to stay in their home. And if you didn't get that, you usually stayed out of doors and you just slept under the uh, the, the stars and, and the moon. So these traveling missionaries sent out by John have gone out to share the gospel. They've gone out to spread the gospel, to expand the kingdom. As they went out, they came across a man by the name of Gaius. When they told Gaius that they were from the apostle John, Gaius said, in essence, my home is your home. My food is your food. And he brought them into his home. He gave them a place to sleep, a place to rest. He gave them food to eat. And I have no doubt, based upon verse 7 and verse 8, that he also financially assisted them. So they come back to the mother church, probably in Ephesus, they give a missionary report and they say, while we were out and God was blessing the ministry, we were blessed. And we were blessed by this incredible man, John, you know him, you led him to Christ, his name is Gaius. And though he's having some issues physically, he did not let that get in the way of his opening up his home and making us welcomed and helping us and assisting us in the ministry. And what a wonderful brother he was. What a gracious man he was. He was so kind and faithful and loving to us. And so John writes to Gaius and says, Look, you just keep on doing what you're doing because you are a blessing to the body as the gospel is expanding and reaching more and more people for Christ. So he was serving faithfully. But then fourthly, he was a man who was giving generously look at verse 7 and verse 8 two very 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 important verses for they that is the traveling missionaries have gone out for the sake of the name the name of the Lord Jesus they accepted nothing from the Gentiles from the nations in this context it probably means lost people so they took nothing from the lost they they recognized that God's work will be financed by God's people. So they took nothing from the nations, from the Gentiles. Therefore, in light of that, we ought to do what? Support people like these. Why, John? Because when you do, you become a fellow worker for the truth. Now, let me spend a few moments here. Charles Spurgeon, again, made a very famous statement that has caused both a a great degree of blessing for some and a great deal of guilt for others. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, wrongly understood, you'll go on a guilt trip. Rightly understood, it will bless you and liberate you. You say, well, what do you think he means by that? Well, let me ask you some questions. Is there any evidence in the Bible that Gaius was ever an international missionary? No. Is there any evidence that Gaius ever went on a mission trip? No. Was Gaius, in John's evaluation, a Great Commission Christian and a Great Commission missionary? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because even though we all don't go, number one, we all pray. And number two, we all give. And when we pray and when we give, the Bible says we then become fellow workers for the truth. Now, don't you misunderstand me. That feels good. I can just pray and give and don't ever have to worry about going. I didn't say that. Neither does this book. Fact of the matter is, I'm convinced many more ought to be going than are going. It's amazing to think there's still 6,500 unreached people groups in the world today that equals 3.11 billion people that have either no access or limited access to the gospel. That means there's still places in the year 2017 where you and I could go, be dropped by parachute or helicopter, hit the ground, we start walking. We would walk days and weeks and months. We would never see a church. We would never even meet a Christian. A lot of times people will say to me, especially when they come, to, I'll just be very personal. I didn't do this in the first service, but I'm giving it to you. I have parents that come to see me at the seminary, drop off their kids, And they'll look at me and say, "Well, you know, we're praying that our son, usually, but our son and daughter, uh, daughter daughter-in-law, once they graduate, they'll come back to our area and serve the Lord." And I say, "Well, that's not my prayer." They'll say, "What?" Say, "Where are you from?" Most of the time, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, which is where I'm from, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee. And I'll say, my goodness, there are hundreds of thousands of churches in those places. There are more churches in North Carolina, 4,000 Southern Baptist churches, than there are all Christians in the country of Turkey, and they got 70 million people. So I don't hope your kids go back to Alabama or Mississippi or South Carolina. I hope they go where there's no gospel. I hope they go where there are no churches. I hope they go where there are people who as of today have still never heard the name of Jesus. If you don't like that, send them to another school. I don't want them anyway. I don't want people to put conditions on where God can send them. Neither should you. But here's the other thing I want you to understand. Though all of you may not be called to go, all of us are called to pray and all of us are called to give. And I want you to just say a quick word about that. Several years ago, I heard a pastor preaching and he made this statement. And at first, I didn't understand it and then I really got excited about it. He said, how many of you have thought about, now listen to me, how many of you have thought about making your single greatest gift to the cause of Christ at your death? And I thought, what? He said, yes, how many of you have thought about making your single greatest gift at your death? And then he explained, how many of you And I'm not asking for hands to be raised, but how many of you have the work of the Lord in your will? How many of you have the work of the Lord in your will? At the time, I didn't. You say, well, why not? I'd never thought about it. It just had never entered my mind. I mean, I was like everybody else. You have a will, and your kids get everything. So when you die, everything goes to your kids. And I was thinking, well, why would I do that? I don't want to give my kids everything. They're just going to waste it anyway. And so why would I want to do that? Your kids are going to be the same way. They're just going to get your money and spend it and waste it. So I thought, why don't I give it to somebody who won't waste it? Why don't I give it to God? So I sat down with my wife, and we began to pray about this. And then I brought my four sons into it and told them what we were thinking. And I want to tell you, it blessed me because they said, Dad, that's fine. But if you want to leave more for that, that'll be fine with us. So when I drop dead, when I drop dead, whatever I have, Probably won't be a lot, but whatever I have, 25% of what I have is going to go to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to continue the work of the Great Commission. That's what's going to happen when I die. And I will, on that day, make the single largest gift to the work of the Lord that I'll ever make in my entire life. And as a result of that, even when I'm dead and gone, I will still be a fellow worker for the truth. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't any Christian do that? Why is it that you have philanthropists today like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are going to leave about 90% of all that they have to philanthropic causes? And they're good things, education, medicine, health, clean water, all sorts of good things. They'll help people be more healthy when they go to hell. Am I wrong on that? I don't think so. So I'm glad that they care about people's physical health. God has called all of us in this room to be concerned about people's spiritual health. And I want to be like Gaius, who was a fellow worker for the truth. Now, I wish the book ended here, but it doesn't. And in verses 9 and 10, you meet what I call the scallywag of the Bible, a scum-sucking dog, that's a Danny Akin phrase, known as Diotrephes. And if Gaius was a man with the right passions, Diotrephes was just the opposite. He was a man with a harmful agenda. Look at what it says about him in verse 9, verse 10. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who liked to put himself first, He won't acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. But you know what? He's not even that bad. He's worse, not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He he doesn't want any missionaries coming into his area. Don't want any missionaries messing with his church. In fact, he even stops those who wants to, and he puts them out of the church. Four great things were said about Gaius, Four not-so-great things are said about Diotrephes. I'll just note them very quickly. Number one, you beware of prideful ambition. I have written something to Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. He was a man who loved himself, not others. He was a man who said, my way or the highway. He was the kind of man who had a me, myself, and I agenda, not a kingdom agenda. He was myopic. He was territorial, defensive. Not only that, he was also dishonest because John says he, you need to learn to submit to proper authority. Not only does he uh, put himself first, he will not even acknowledge our authority. Now, think about that. He is saying, in essence, we don't need the Apostle John. He's an old man. He's a has-been. He's yesterday's news. We don't need him. I'm so glad you're here today. You, you honor me by your presence, but I want to give you a hypothetical. Imagine your pastor had such connection with God. I and mean, I think he's well connected to God, but I mean, he's got like super connection with God. And so he arranged by a supernatural act, and it would be supernatural, for the Apostle John to be your preacher today. Now, you aren't going to hurt my feelings. Well, you might a little bit, but not too bad. How many of you think there'd be more people here today if the Apostle John were filling the pulpit than Danny Aiken? Well, every hand ought to go up. I certainly think there'd be more people here. My gosh. In fact, if, if, if Paul had arranged for the Apostle John to be here today, we wouldn't be meeting in this auditorium. No, no, no. We, we'd find us a big stadium somewhere. I mean, over there where Clemson plays. That's not too far from here, is it? So we go over there and watch your Clemson Tigers and say, well, we fill it up when we have the Tigers playing football in the fall. Psh, that'd be nothing compared to what we'd be able to put over there if the Apostle John showed up. But guess what Gaius wouldn't have show I mean Gaius would have showed up but Fees wouldn't. Fees would have said we don't need him he's an old man I don't respect his authority I don't want him and he was a man that would not bring himself under proper authority but then number three he would lie about others to further his agenda look at verse 10 so if I come and the ideas I will I'll bring up what he's doing, what's he doing, John, talking wicked nonsense against us. Some translations say he is lying maliciously about us. In other words, he didn't mind lying about others to further his own agenda. The truth meant nothing to this man. All he cared for was getting his way. But then finally, worst of all, don't you be a bully and mistreat others. Look at the last part of verse 10. And not content with that, not content with talking wicked nonsense. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He refuses to welcome the missionaries. And also, he stops those who wants to. And if he can, he even has them excommunicated, and he puts them out of the church. In other words, was Diotrephes a Great Commission Christian? No. Was Diotrephes on mission with God? No. Diotrephes was a man who cared only about himself. He was a man focused on the inside, not the outside. And I'll tell you something. Anytime a Diotrephes slips into a church and begins to wield his authority, the Great Commission gets kicked out the door, and so goes the Holy Spirit. Diotrephes was a man who loved himself more than he loved others. He loved himself more than he loved the Great Commission agenda of King Jesus. But, praise God, the book doesn't end there. Thirdly, there's a guy named Demetrius. And the Bible says of Demetrius, he was a man with a good testimony, both by example and by word. Look at what it says in verse 11, and we're finished. Beloved, dear friend, do not imitate, do not mimic, it could literally be translated evil, but imitate or mimic good. Why? Well, there's a very basic principle in theology. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. I'm often asked the question, Danny, do you think that Diotrephes was a Christian? I don't know. And you know what? I don't think John knew either, but I think John was skeptical because John says those whose lives are characterized by the goodness of the gospel give evidence that they know God. But those whose lives are characterized by the evil one they give evidence that they do not know God now this also begs another question why in the world <clears throat> does John say in verse 11 imitate good not evil wouldn't everybody know that no not necessarily you see here's what I think I think the diatrophies of this world are often very influential they're very persuasive they're very good with their words they're usually people of standing and influence now let me be clear we don't know who dr fees was was he the pastor we don't know was he an elder a deacon we don't know was he a part of an influential family in the church we don't know dr fees they come in all shapes and sizes what we do know is that he was doing havoc to the church and he was destroying its Great Commission passion. And he was also aware, John was, that people can easily get sucked into following someone like this. So, brothers, don't you imitate evil, you imitate good. And let me give you an example to close with Demetrius. He has a threefold witness. He has a good testimony, number one, from everyone. Number two, he has a good testimony from the truth itself. And number three, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is good. I love that first phrase, Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone. John, are you saying everyone thinks that uh, the gospel that Demetrius loves is the true gospel? No. Are you saying everyone agrees with Demetrius' theology? No. What are you saying then? What I'm saying is no one saved or lost can say anything negative about Demetrius that will stick because he is a man whose life is one of absolute, unimpeachable integrity. I read those two verses and I think about a man, very simple man. He had a fifth grade education. He was a farmer in Douglasville, Georgia. For a number of years, he even served as the janitor of the church that man is the reason I do what I do today because no one had a greater shaping influence on my life than my granddaddy my granddaddy Galloway my mother's father had a fifth grade education that's all he was poor all of his life he was a simple farmer in Douglasville Georgia But my granddaddy was a man of God and everybody knew that about Charlie Galloway. My granddaddy died when I was 14. But when I was 26 years old, I was invited to come and preach at the Victory Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia. It's still there, a little country church. Up on the hill is buried my granddaddy, my grandmother, my dad, and my mama. So, I'm invited to preach at the Victory Baptist Church when I'm 26. And that morning, like Pastor Paul did, I was introduced by the pastor. But here's what he said when he introduced me I've never forgotten it. He got up and he said, We're very honored this morning and really very blessed to have as our preacher for the day, quote, Mr. Galloway's grandson. Oh, his name is Danny Aiken. And that's how I was introduced. And then the pastor did something like this. He said, Charlie Galloway's been dead for more than a decade. But how many of you remember Mr. Galloway? And almost every hand in the congregation went up. So Mr. Galloway was a godly man, wasn't he? All the heads went up and down. Mr. Galloway was the man that if you called him at 3 o'clock in the morning because you were in trouble, he'd be at your house at 3.15. Charlie Galloway was a man of God. We need more men like him. I close with a simple question. When you've been dead and gone for 10 years, what will people say about you? Will they even remember you? We still read about a man named Demetrius. We still read about a man named Gaius. Might God be so kind as to give us the same kind of reputation because we so love Jesus and his mission that we see in the lives of these two men. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Gaius and for Demetrius. I want to be like them. I want to live on the spiritual plane. I want to walk in truth. I want to serve others faithfully. And, Lord, I want to be generous with what you've given me. I want to be like Demetrius. I want to have a a good reputation. I want to live a life of such godliness and transparency that others would have to say there's something different about Danny Akin and they would begin to ask and I could tell them the difference is my Lord Jesus. But God, please never let me become like and I know how easy that is to happen. Please keep me away from the temptation to think more of myself than I ought. Please, Lord, never allow me to lie about others to further my agenda. And, Lord, please never let me become so uh, myopic and so territorial that my agenda gets in the way of the Great Commission agenda. Lord, I thank you that Jesus really does make a difference. We see this in the life of Gaius. We see this in the life of Demetrius. May others also see it in our lives as well. All for your glory, we ask and pray this in Jesus' name.